Good evening, everyone. We're so happy to be here with you tonight. Jerry Lee standing in for the Manifester. And tonight, we'll be teaching on a subject called The Divine Nature. The Divine Nature. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Second Peter, the Epistle General of Second Peter. From the book of the first chapter of Peter, beginning with the second verse, this is what it says. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Now, I could start speaking on that because I like that kind of talk. And Peter and I could really get along with that kind of an idea. I like the idea for um, grace to have an understanding that there is a possibility of depth to it, a possibility of multiplication to it, and the same with the word peace. And these are both states of condition, states of the mind, states of the environ. And it is really interesting, even though this is in a letter, yet it has a lot of connotations and a lot of deep employments of definition. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now that is what we are talking about here today in this voyage that we are taking in the divine nature revelation. We are talking about what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches in the main line of those things that are edification for the saints and the people of God who we call the destinata. That God wants to multiply the peace to you. He wants to multiply the grace to you. There are so many people that become so satisfied with the measure of peace and the measure of grace that they have. When in fact, there is an abundance that is available. And the word of the Bible speaks of the abundance. And I think that we are being led by God to understand a lot of times you only get what you ask for and what you believe for. So you've got to believe that you can have these things and that they are intended for you and that you have a right to them. And once you understand that you have a right to these things, because they are not based on how sinless you are, how perfect you are, how that you are better than someone else, they are based on a provision that God has made available for whosoever will. And if you can understand that this multiplied grace and this multiplied peace is available through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, then there's the source. There's the source where this can be made available to you. But you have to have the knowledge of it. Someone has to tell you, and you have to listen to what you've been told in order to have the application of it find a real place of deliverance in your life. Now let's go on. After reading that, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If you think that you don't need knowledge, then understand that you will never get into the multiplicity of the good things of God. 
because you'll never know how that it works, why that it works, and what rights you have. But as you get into the knowledge of God, you will discover all of those elements. And you will be able to not just be dealing with the attrition of a weary, tired path, but you will be dealing with a pickup that will really give you a multiplication of grace. Not just a small little dab here and a little dab there will do you, but a multiplication of grace. Because grace has many levels. And peace has many levels. And the problem with many of the people who are said to be believers is that they only believe in part. And the Bible says, you know, people believe in part, they know in part, but one day, just having a part, that concept is going to be done away with. And the glass darkly concept is going to be removed. And then you will know, as you were once known, you'll have the fullness of this understanding. In the third verse, it goes on to say, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Now, if we are going to believe these scriptures, if we are going to believe that they are the word of God, if we are going to believe that we have the possibility and the probability, if we are willing to comprehend these things and to be the recipients of them, then it will all happen according as his divine power has given unto us all things. Now, one of the subjects that we often have to deal with with people when we're counseling them is the the limited selectivity that so many people get into. They just don't believe that there is such a wide selection of available things for them due to them, open to them, available in a spiritual, divine nature sense. In the third verse here, it says, According as his divine power has given unto us A-L-L things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. There is so much power in that verse. There is so much richness and treasure and applicability for those who can grasp this, hang on to it, hold on to it, and refuse to let go until this verse as a prophecy is fulfilled in their life. And this has all got to do with being according to His, God's, divine power that has been given to us. That power has been given to us in all things. And it pertains unto life and godliness. So, what do these all things refer to? Well, they refer to life. Is there anything about your life that you have a problem? Do you have sickness in your life? Do you have sorrow in your life? Do you have weakness? So, if you have any of these things, then you are lacking on the side that is available to you. Because it has already been given. 
is already a promised thing. It pertains unto life and godliness. So, you know, any of you people that are out there that are complaining that you just don't have a breakthrough to God, it isn't because it's not available. It's because there's something in your style of thinking or something in the limits as how you administer this that is holding you back. Okay, so um, that is so powerful. That is so supersedent. It puts us up the road if we take that verse because um, you've got the multiplication of grace, you've got the multiplication of peace, and you've got the divine power that has promised all things that pertain unto life and that pertain unto godliness. And this is available again through knowledge. And it's the knowledge that is available in Him. And He has called us to glory and virtue. And that word virtue, that is not a minor word. When a person has glory, and the glory has a resoundingness to it, and it has a sort of reverb, and then with that all put together, it has an offering that is virtuous that when you are talking about the healing power of God, people get healed. When you are talking about the infilling of the power of God, people receive that infilling. When you are addressing revelation, God by the Holy Spirit opens the people's minds so that they can understand it. That is all entwined within the idea of virtue. Then it goes on in verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Whereby, that's sort of a a designating word. There is a, a why, there is a how, there is a causation. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. These promises aren't minor. These promises aren't little dat ado. These promises are great, and they're precious promises. That by these promises, you might be partakers, and here's the title, that you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So there is a divine nature, and then there is another nature and that's part of what we want to talk about now the human being is a compound being on the one part he has a body which has been referred to as a house and a temple but it is physical on the other part he has a spirit which is not physical And then there is a third part, which is the soul, which is not even in his body, because it is a birthright. And it is like something of which Jesus said, you can gain the whole world, but you don't want to lose your soul. You can gain the whole world, and you can lose your soul, and what do you have? You've got nothing of any value. So, the divine nature then is something that is different from the human nature. 
Now, when we talk about the angel of your presence, we are talking about that as connected to your spirit. So what do we have, or what is there, that would be sort of the contra of that? Well, in the human body, you have the genetic nature, the genes, and a lot of nature that is genetic goes way, way back in ancestral connections. And sometimes you are just unfortunate to be connected to genes that have a lot of deviating problems in them. And these genes are also called genies. And when you hear people talk about, and sometimes writers will talk about, overcoming their demon, that is a very practical way of saying it. Because the word demon, if you go back into translations at one time, just was tied into the word angel. Because there's good angels, there's bad angels. And if you think in terms of my demon, you're not necessarily talking about a devil demon. But you are talking about the demon that is in your genetics, which is a genie. So sometimes when the scriptures were interpreted and translated, in which Jesus referred to the casting out of devils, there are for sure some instances in which those terms were translated to devils, that it was really talking about the casting out of genies being able to change the lattice nature that they have inherited through their genes. And those things are very stuck with a person. They're very fastened to a person's nature and to a person's mind. And that, for sure, is not a description of the divine nature. It is a description of your human nature of the characteristics of your human nature. So we almost are like the tree of good and evil knowledge. It has within its component parts those aspects that are good. It has within its component parts those aspects that are not so good. And you have the genies on the one side, and you have the angel of the presence, the spirit on the other side. So in that old, old little um, comparative thing of the devil sitting on a person's shoulder on one side and a good angel sitting on the shoulder on the other side, and they're both giving advice to the mortal. And the mortal's trying to decide between their demon and trying to decide between their good angel, the angel of their presence. And they have to make a decision and come to a conclusion. Well... That may have seemed to be just like sort of a made-up joke, but there is actually a truth to it, because you do have a genetic nature of your genes, and that genetic nature of genes uh, have been ascribed to being called genies. And there's some gene-inherited things that are very inhibiting, and they just need to be overcome, and they need to be changed. And we call that overcoming a lattice change, 
a lattice because the lattice is like, you know, you diamonds have a lattice, atomic uh, energies have a lattice, and they look very much like a network because they're all the cubits of the quantum scaffolding that is about our physical being. As we come to understand that lattice, which incorporates and includes things about our physical nature, things about what we have inherited, the what we were in our ancestors, and the what we are now. We see that described in the New Testament as talked about and as provided for us in the Old Testament examples, where it talks about Abraham having in him genes that would later come forth, and this gene that was in him that would later come forth as a personification, as a person, was not alive as an individual at the time, but it inherited the experiences of Abraham. Those experiences passed on into that gene, and when that gene came alive as a person, it was actually credited for the beneficial part of it, and if it had been a negative part, it would have been discredited. And so that is very a Bible, and we've done teachings on that in the past. So we can find all kinds of cases in the Bible about the genes and the genetics. There are times when people have had a disease or gotten into a state of being mad, and Jesus has said, you know, this is not their fault. There is not anything that they have done to be like this, but they just need to be healed. Well, he was referring then to these people who had genetically inherited these uh, negative characters, and as a child, they grew up with that, and there was nothing they had done to inherit that except being the child of and the offspring of these people who themselves may not have been the direct giver of those genes, but who were the carrier of those genes from maybe going back into ancestry. So those are very, very interesting. Now, when we start understanding why these precious promises have been made, why these offers of the multiplication of grace and the multiplication of peace have been provided. Why that this great offering and precious offerings are tied in to receiving glory and virtue, but that they all have to come through Christ and through God, and these things are all provided and pertain to our life and our spiritual need of being endowed. And all things have been provided that we need to have. That all things doesn't include things that we don't need to have. That doesn't mean they don't exist. But this is an exclusive all things, replying and uh, benefiting those things of the all that we need. So the all that you need is provided and promised right here in this book of Second Peter. The all that you need, there's nothing short, it's provided. All the healing that you need to be whole, all of the spiritual edification that you need to develop a powerful, a sound personality, it's all provided. 
is here. And it is provided ultimately to bring you into the divine nature, not just a divine nature. Because there's different people that would have in the selection of divinity and the selection of natures a different level or a different take, uh, maybe due to their discretions are due to their choices of how they allow it to be engineered for them because they want that divine nature to be the way they want it to be. So they get a portion of it, but they don't get the divine nature. And so the divine nature is like a blueprint, and it is like a point of achievement to which you are called to receive through trans simulation and by becoming a model, like you become a model of Christ and a model of God. And someone says, oh, I don't see how that could ever become possible. I can totally understand you saying that and thanking that. I want to read something in Ephesians, and don't lose your place in Second Peter, but this is so spectacular a thought. In Ephesians, the first chapter, and we'll read um, with the second verse, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now see, that is not exactly a duplicity, but it certainly is a reiteration of the same tokens of offerings and thought, the grace and the peace. These are two gigantic monuments of promise that are definitely needed and available for God's people. And they're available through the Father and through Christ. And who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Again, the word all. Blessed us with all the spiritual blessings that you in your body design, your mind design, your attitude design, your heart design, your nature design can need. It is blueprinted for you. All of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Again, the word according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, if you can grasp this, and I've preached it before, but, you know, I'm finding that I need to go slowly and break down these teachings and make them as simple as possible so people will be able to take advantage of this word and apply it to themselves according as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. Someone says, I'm not good enough to have this multiplication of peace and grace and have all this virtue and glory that it's talking about. I don't deserve it. You just don't know how I am. You know, I'm not that great of a person, that good of a person. You are missing the whole point. God is not in any way expecting to take any of the people on this planet the way they are and expect to be able to pour out all this goodness in them, because he knows that their vessels are full of holes. And they are like pockets with holes in them. It would just go through them. It would have no benefit. But what he is doing is something that is just incredible to imagine. It is so awesome. It is not reconcilable in the sense of human reasoning. It is reconcilable in a spiritual understanding of the divine nature. And listen to this. I read it again. According as he has chosen us. 
It is not according how he has not chosen us. It is according to how he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, before the fall of the angels, before there was any of the ophanims that falled. He is not even choosing you while you were an ophanim and the war of the angels was taking place. He goes back in time before you as an angel, as an ophanim wheel, ever fell by the war that happened in heaven between the archangels. And he's choosing you how you were then. So according as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. Obviously you existed before the foundations of the world in God, in Christ, in his whole recognition of you. And in that sense, by doing that, by going back, he has selected you in a time when you were holy and without blame before him in love. If you can grasp that, if you can understand that, then you will have the real causation of why when the Bible says, this is all ready for you now, that the gifts of God are without repentance. So when God makes this available to you without repentance, how does he do that? By envisioning you, by taking you back into the state that you were before you fell, before you had sin, into that state in which you were blameless, into that state when you you were holy, and into that state when you had those benefits and those those gifts in love. You had this divine nature, divine nature of your spirit. And one of the most powerful energies that you had was the power of love. And this is what made you divine. So when God is thinking about you through Jesus Christ, He's thinking and He's accepting you how you were way back then before the foundations of the world. That is Bible. That is Scripture. And when you look at that, you say, My God, I was like perfect then. I was like without sin then. I was a divine, loving spirit and angelic messenger. And that is when He is making this decision of all these benefits that he's going to bestow is based on how I was then and now I am going to receive the benefit of those blessings because of how I was then and not because of how I am now. And you talk about being able to go back in time. You talk about a time trip. You talk about being able to transfer something back into a time so that it affects you going backwards and then turns around and affects you coming forward. So what affects you back then now also affects you here because the benefit is passed on to you. That is the true Bible time machine. And right now a lot of scientists are trying to discover how to make the time machine work. And one of the things that they came up with, that, well, if this time machine is ever able to be able to work using some of the various deep scientific mathematical terms, if they're able to figure this out, the one thing that would not be able to be done is that you would never be able to go back into history and do anything that would change it. Well... 
A lot of people have thought, if I could go back, I would never have said the things that I did. If I could go back, I would not have turned down the offers that I had. I would not have been that way with my family or my wife or my husband. I would not have had so much anger and showed it. I I just would have been different if I could go back. But, you know, here is the Bible, and it is truly a time machine, and is called in heavenly places in Christ. And then the other main name for that is the divine nature. So, from that scripture, it further goes into explanation. Having, past tense, predestinated us into the adoption of the children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasures of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, and having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has proposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So there is a part of you as a history that exists in heaven right now. The imprint of that time, of your life being there, the image of that totality of person that you were, and then the totality of the person that you are now, and the imprint of the person that you are now. The mystery of it is to be able to take and bring those two entities together in one so that the person could totally overcome everything and anything that they have failed with in this life. And so this is what we call transassimulation. Our spaceship to get into that time machine is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I know a lot of people think that that's the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilt on the cross, but that was only a symbolism. Because what the blood that is talking about is what the Bible says about blood. It says blood is the symbol, it is the, is the actual representation and the fact of the life of the being. That's what blood represents, the life of the being, the life of the person. So when it talks about this being done through the blood of Jesus Christ, what it is really talking about is this being done through the life of Jesus Christ, which is actually more important, although a lot of people have a problem with this, but I know it's a fact, it's more important than the death of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that if the princes of this world knew who Jesus was, really was, who who his eternal purpose was, who he was as an eternal person, they would not have crucified him. That's in the Bible. They would not have crucified him if they really knew who he was. So what really is important, it's going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The plan for eternal life was in the Garden of Eden. And it was a tree, but not a tree of curses. It was a tree of blessing. Later, just like the tablets, the first set of tablets was the tablets of blessing. 
And the second set of tablets, although people would think that they're exactly the same because they don't know how to interpret the Scripture, but the second tablets were the tablets of cursing. And so the law that was put on there, with the exception of the first two commandments, uh, had to do with, with horrible punishments for saying the wrong kind of, of language to their parents. They were stoned to death. And there was a, a lot of grievous punishments that came with the cursing of the law. But when you get into this and you begin to realize the power of this, that the blood of Jesus is the life that he lived. And so he, as a proxy, is living this life for us. And then we go through the portals or the pearl gate called the pearly gate, whatever way you like to say it. We don't go through and say, hey, this is Jerry Lee. Let me through, please. I've been a preacher and a great person. Uh, Sorry, uh, we don't have your name down here. There's no pass for you. There isn't? Nope. So come back another day if you can think of the right name. And then what happens? You come back and you've got the revelation. And they said, and what is your name? You said, my name is Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. Come right in. Because he's the proxy. We all come through him, through his life. And that's what is called trans, meaning over. Trans is like over. Trans-assimilation. We take his life into ourself, and we model God. We model Christ. And as we model that, we are into trans-assimilation. And then we are able to go through and to take benefit of the who we were before we ever sinned. Because we belong to eternity. And we get to go back and receive that just by having a mediator in Jesus Christ to come through his life and be restored. It's a incredible, wonderful blessing. There is no doubt about that. So the divine nature then is so important. Now, what does it say when we look into this knowledge that it says if you get into this knowledge, you've got the all of these things that pertain to life, that pertain to spirituality? You have the all of it. You have the virtue. You have the glory. Well, in the second epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, But... He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. That is one of the great gigantic problems out here in the world, that people have forgotten that they have been purged from their sins, that this work has been done for them through Jesus Christ. All they have to do is accept it. When they accept it, when they accept this thing from Jesus Christ, then they are able to absolutely remember that they are forgiven. To remember that they don't have any sins because they are being reconciled to when they lived and existed before the foundations of the earth. And in that state, they did not have sin. They were blameless in that state. They had love, and they were full of the charmingness of the grace and the peace and the power 
of their angelic spirit. So, the Bible advises us in the 10th verse to give diligence and to make our calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. Here's a guarantee. It's written in this Bible, in this book. You have an opportunity with just a little diligence. You have the opportunity to make your calling an election sure. You are already an elect angel. You are already an elect person of salvation. You are already elected to be able to go back in time and to be given the star, to be given the star as it mentions in the book of Revelations, that he will hand you a star, which the MIV interpretation of that is that your stature will be returned to you in its fullness of who you were as an Ophanim angel before you fell. And that's the guarantee. And it is beautiful. So, let's talk about some things. The divine nature. Let's suppose here today that we're going to have a bunch of people that hear this word and they're going to say, you know what? I accept that. I believe that. That's the word. That's the Bible. I want the divine nature that belongs to me. Well, what do you do? What do you do? I want to talk about that. I want to talk about all these incredibly wonderful, powerful things you can do with the right attitude about this. Some people say, well, you know, I have a thorn in my flesh. I have this this problem. I've got arthritis. I just can barely manage with it. I've got alcoholic problem. I've got a terrible temper. I am full of depression and unhappiness. And it's like a thorn in my flesh. You know, Paul had a thorn in his flesh, and he prayed to the God to remove it. And God said that his faith was sufficient for him. That has mostly been taken and understood that he could just endure it and just live with it. But I don't think that that was the ultimate meaning of that word that he received. I think that God was telling Paul, you have what is sufficient to bear with it until you can overcome it. You are not to let it get you down. You are not to let it defeat you. But you are to keep your stance in faith, your stance in believing. And as you do that, you will eventually overcome and destroy this thorn in your flesh. And that is true with problems of any kind that maybe have been Klingons. They've just been hanging around for most of the years of your life that you can remember. And God wants to eradicate those problems. And for you to do that, you're going to have to project your divine nature. As you project this divine nature and just let it become the leading factor of your thoughts, the leading factor of your faith, so that it is operating in your hands, in your eyes, in your ears, in your mind, and in all of those powers of being capable of doing things with the senses of your body to feel, to see, to hear, to think, you are able then to project modeling Christ and putting on God and trans-assimilating to the Father, to the Holy Ghost. 
I guess I mean this in a deeper way than I seem to even be saying it. I think that the Bible talks about, let the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are incorporated in that whole plan. You are the representative of Jesus Christ here on earth. You are the representative of the Father, which art in heaven, here on earth. Sometimes you can even be called to be a representative of the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you may have to become those tongues of fire. You may have to make all things be possible just by transassimilating in your modeling of Christ to be as Christ. Does that mean you go around and try to talk like Christ? That you go around and try to look like Christ may have looked or to act like Christ may have acted? But we're talking about what all of the promises were that Christ made by his life and then made them available to you by being able to put in that time machine and take you back in time and give it to you at a time when it would only enhance you and not distract you from the healing and the salvation that you needed. So, as you begin to get into the spiritual confluence of putting on God and trans-assimilating God, you know, there's going to be times of action that you will need to act out as being the Father as act out as being tongues of fire, act out as uh, putting on God and modeling Christ. Attraction draws attraction. When you get into this spiritual magnetism, it will change everything. Sometimes we need to get out of the idea of just being a telescope and looking far, far away. Sometimes we need to spend a good deal of observation through the microscope, looking at the small details of our life and the small details that have to do with our innermost being and not just always be caught up with looking at the stars. That's beautiful and I love it. But I think right now God is dealing with us to get into these promises and to put on this divine nature. And as we put on that divine nature, you might need to do a little more looking into the microscope and might be able to, with that microscope, see a whole lot of germs living and fastened on you that just need to be dealt with. God wants you to have thought selections and life selections. God wants you to shockproof yourself. No matter what it is that may or may not come out there, God wants you to shockproof yourself so that you can handle anything that comes. Now, a lot of times, people just don't prepare themselves even though they've had warnings. I know that when I received many, many, many years ago a prophecy about the changing of the weather, and at the time that I received this prophecy, the a scientific view was that we were headed for another ice age. And I had a prophecy that said, no, that is not what is going to happen. We're going to come to an age where there's going to be a a heating up of the atmosphere and of the environment of the earth. So it's going to be more like a, a hot house type of effect, a greenhouse type of effect. And then we were told that, you know, the north, there's going to be tremendous 
transitions. There would be great ice melts that would happen. Glaciers would melt and that there's going to be a lot of land and that there would be seasons in the north where a tremendous amount of uh, crops and food would be made available. Interesting, uh, that was many years ago I received that. Interesting, just early this morning I was reading where this scientist said that he has done a study and discovered that um, in the north, like uh, countries like Canada and great parts of uh, the Soviet Union, Iceland, Greenland, some of these places, that they're going to have a reversal of all that ice, all that cold, all that snow, and they're going to become some of the most powerful financial nations in the world because of the resources being made available to them. They'll be able to make discoveries with those many, many, many deep feet that have covered up a lot of potential finds. And so, you know, we see that coming to pass. The other thing that I know when I received a prophecy about coming up here and being in a certain parallel and latitude, I knew to try to stay away from the the coast. You know, they say it's going to be a lot of years before people living on the coast have to be worried about it. And I'm not here to make any immediate predictions or threats or warnings or trying to scare you. But eventually, just like what's happening in Pakistan, they say that the flood in Pakistan is so immense that it is the size of the whole country of Italy. It's covering a landmass the size of the whole nation of Italy. And there are people that can just barely find a place to go of dry ground. So, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities that can happen, and and I don't think it's a great idea in the long term of things to plant too deeply along the coast because those coastlines are going to eventually someday, when the ocean rises, they're going to be flooded. And I've known that for years, and we chose to be where we are and at the uh, longitude that we are uh, because of that. So it's a beautiful thing to talk about shock-proofing yourself so that you are prepared for what is going to come on the earth, but you are not in fear and trembling because of it. You just know what to do, and you do it, and you know that whatever that you don't do that would need to be done, God's going to show you or lead you or provide for you. So that is all just really, really beautiful. So in Christ, there are so many things that you are that you can be and You have the right to be if you can believe it. For instance, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Well, very few people think in terms of applying that to themselves. But I had someone the other day I was talking to, a very precious person, and they were talking about the Holy Spirit. They would like to have the Holy Spirit. And I says, well, you know, you've already got the Holy Spirit. It's inside of you. And this person said, but... All the other preachers that I've talked to, they say the Holy Spirit is not inside of me and that it's got to come into me and that it comes from the outside. I said, well, I know that they do say that, but the fact of the matter is they're just not correct. And what it is is they just don't understand that it is in you, but it has to come into your spirit, into your consciousness. And so there is still a coming into you, but that does not mean that it is not in a part of you now. And I said, for instance, 
Jesus said to the multitudes of people, the kingdom of God comes without observation. Now, if the kingdom of God comes without observation, and as he finished it, the kingdom of God is within you, and you have the kingdom of God within you, and there's not too many people who are Christians that I have talked to that do not believe that they do not have the kingdom of God within. So if you have the kingdom of God within you, the kingdom of God, are you trying to tell me, these people that say that the Holy Spirit is not in you, that you have the kingdom of God in you, but you don't have the Holy Spirit? I can tell you right now that any place where the kingdom of God is, the Holy Spirit is there. So if the kingdom of God is within you, you have the Holy Spirit. You just have to allow it to come into your your consciousness so that it can be operating and uh, that you will be able to have a demonstration of it. And in that sense, the Holy Spirit at a certain level of function becomes the Holy Ghost. So that's all beautiful. So as we look at those kind of things, and in the first chapter of John it says, every person born into the world is born with the light. So you are not born without the light. Every person born in the world, born into the world, is born with the light. All right, now, if we say that Christ is resurrection, but since he is a proxy for us, and we become Christ standing and representing in his stead, because once we trans-assimilate into Christ, we become a representative. And that same kind of a thing was known and understood throughout the whole Old Testament, when prophets like Isaiah, Amos, Ezekiel, Daniel would prophesy, they would say, and it being translated into the English, but it was still the same thing, they would say, thus saith the Lord. And then they would give a big long message. But they would be speaking that, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I say unto you. So these people would be speaking, you know, like they were the Lord, and they were saying this unto these people. Now, the New Age people use the word channeling. I don't use that very often, probably mostly because some of the New Age people use it, and so much of their um, doctrine is so confused because it's... uh, spread among so many different ideologies. But it actually is a good word. Channeling is actually a good word. It's just that it has become associated with something a little different than how I would use it. But it is a good word. And so so when you think that you are channels of Christ, channels of God, channels of the Father, God is speaking through you by the Holy Spirit. It really is a, a beautiful understanding of how that you are also the resurrection. And not only are you also the resurrection, but you are also the light. So when the Bible says, let there be light, that is something that you could say right now. You could say, let there be light, and what follows it, and there was light. So when God says, I want to give you this knowledge, I want to bring you up the rungs of the ladder, I want to take you up the ascending stairs, you just need to stand there and you need to say, like when God spoke to Ezekiel, and he said, see all these dead bones out here? And he said, yeah, it's really a mess. He said, well, do you think you can do anything about it? He said, I don't think so. These people are dead. They've been dead a long time. Their bones are dry. He said, well, you know, you can do something about this if you want to. You've got to breathe on them. You've got to transfer that breath of life to them. 
if you can transfer your breath of life to them so they can transassimilate it by your prophecy, then they can come to life. Their bones will come together, their parts will come together, the sinews will come together, and they'll start standing on their feet being humans again. But you've got to breathe on them. When you feel like you're in darkness and you feel like you just don't understand Scripture, you don't understand the things that God is speaking to you, you need to stand there and you need to say, let there be light. And there was light. And there will be light. Because you have in you the power of resurrection. You have in you light. And God tells us, you know, to be light, to be the light to the world, to not hide our light under a bushel, but to let our light go out and let the world know that we've got it. You are the bomb of Gilead. You are a source where people can find comfort because you have the kingdom of God in you. And if the kingdom of God in you is empty and it has no provision, no furniture, then that isn't the true kingdom of God. It just means that you haven't really gotten into the accessories and the furniture and the benefits that God put in you that you were born with. You have the kingdom of God in you. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe the Bible? If you believe Jesus and you believe the Bible, then you have to believe you've got the kingdom of God in you, and that is no small thing. That is a masterful, incredible, virtuous thing. And you have all the accessory and all the provision that goes along with having the kingdom of God within you. Now you just need to start saying, I am the resurrection. Let there be light. I am the light. I am the bomb of Gilead. And you are the healer. Jesus commissioned his disciples to heal. He commissioned them to forgive sins. He said, go out, and whosoever sins you remit, they'll be remitted. Whosoever sins you do not remit, they will not be remitted. So he gave his disciples, and that promise went on to whosoever will, to be able to forgive sins. You are a healer. You are a forgiver of sins. You are a baptizer of the dead. In the Corinthians, the 15th chapter, it talks about taking the time to baptize the dead. The spirit life and the physical life is only separated by a very small, thin membrane. And so, you know, you are responsible to follow the Great Commission. And you are responsible to forgive people their sins. That means it's pretty hard if you hold grudges against them. That means it's not going to be just great if you are uh, unforgiving and, and you are harboring in your mind and in your heart unforgiveness. And you justify your unforgiveness because you feel that it is deserved. But, you know, you have the power to forgive sins. It really never gave you the power to judge because the Bible says do not judge. So you don't have the power to judge. You can't go to those people and say, look, I'm going to help you by judging you. You were never given that power. But the power that you were given is to forgive them. You were given to say, let there be light. And you were given the power to be a healer. And you were given the power to bless and to even baptize the dead. And those are incredibly wonderful, beautiful, understanding offerings of the divine nature. God wants to commission you in that divine nature. And to represent God, you need to quit representing yourself especially representing yourself with such clarity as some people do. It's so clearly you being represented, and that's just not one of the favorite things of God. But if you start representing God as you are commissioned to do, and representing the Christ, 
then I'm going to tell you, you will be a very famous person with the angels. You'll be a very popular person with the Spirit of God because you are commissioned to be a healer. You are commissioned to be a handler of snakes. And we're not talking about the snakes that crawl out there on the ground, but we're talking about that as emblemizing demons and genies. You are called to be a handler of those snake demons and genies and being able to handle those situations, handle those demons. Jesus said, I'll give you power to cast out the devils. And you have that power because you have in you the kingdom of God. There's some people that are are so possessed with genies and so possessed with devils that you can be sure that they are parking right in the solar plexus in such a way that they are blocking every possible use of the kingdom of God within And so God says, it's time for you to start picking up serpents, and I promise you this one thing, their poison will not hurt you. You've got to do like Paul did when he was temporarily trapped on that island where the barbarians were, and a viper fastened to his hand and clenched his teeth into him and put poison into him, and he just shook it off into the fire and killed the viper and just kept living. You've got power to live. You have that power. And it says, they shall not hurt you. You shall not die. This ministry is so available in such beautiful ways. It is the the many eyes, you know, of the creature. God wants you to have all these eyes. I know many people say there's only one path. There's only one way. But those people that say that, they don't even know the Bible. Because the Bible talks about the many paths. And so there are many, many paths. And I believe that and I know that. And it has an availability for you. And those paths are like the many eyes. When you look down a path and there's an obstruction there and you aren't just ready to, uh, having not yet been Christianed, you're not ready to go out there and begin to start picking up serpents and genies. Just Take another path. Take another road. You know that by instinct. And when you go down the highway and it's all blocked with traffic because they're they're into construction on the highway, and you see uh, another road that you can get off, and you know that road will take you off to another highway that you can get around the obstruction, you just automatically, if you're a good driver, do it. Because, you know, it's a time value. So God is showing you there are many paths. You don't stop going forward. You just get on another path if there's a temporary block. And you just keep on going. Because you've got many eyes, you've got many paths, and you can see all these uh, different possibilities. You're going to have to start breathing on people for them to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to start breathing on people so that they can revive. And God wants you to cause your word that you speak to be a brooder, to have the power to breathe felicity, which is wonderful peace. God wants you to have that capability because it is a beautiful thing. Use your imagination when you feel humdrum and you don't know where you're going or how you're going to achieve something. Use your imagination. Raise up the things that are into celebration. Practice living again. The Bible says, 
that you must be born again, then if you must be born again, just keep applying that truth. Let's just say you must live again. Whenever you reach a point where you're not living, you sort of need to be born again and live again. And don't copy cats. Copy Christ. People say, I, you know, that guy's just a copycat. Well, that's sad. Don't copy cats. Copy Christ. The Bible says you're going to judge angels. And it's not talking about good angels. It's talking about demons and genies. You're going to judge them. And you make them get straight. That is a divine judgment that is not done by you, but is done by the divine nature. So it's not in conflict with what Christ said. So it is very, very important. I want to read another scripture here that uh, there's quite a few interesting scriptures. I hope I have the time here, but let me read this one in the book of John, St. John, the 11th chapter. Now a certain man was sick, this is the first verse, named Lazarus of Bethany. And that was the town where Mary and her sister Martha lived. And it was that same Mary, it says in the second verse, that anointed Jesus with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore his sisters sent unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death. Now I want you to be sure you get this. Jesus said, The sickness is not unto death, but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, I think a lot of people did not understand Jesus when he said this, as you will see when I read a little further into the Scripture. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that Lazarus was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, Let's go to Judea again. And his disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you. You want to go back there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he sees the light of the world. But if a man walk at night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. Jesus was saying, there is always a way to do something. No matter what the threat has been, no matter how damning the consequences seem, no matter how obstructive a decision seems to be, there is always a way to do things. But you have to do it in knowledge. You have to do it in the light of the day. You have to do it in knowledge so you know what you are doing. And once you know what you are doing, then you can get around the threat of death. You can get around these people that want to damage you and destroy your reputation and destroy your future. You can get around them. So he says, let's go. And it says, um, these things said Jesus. And after that, he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Now, I know that a lot of people sometimes have a difficulty. The language that I use, I might have said something like this, and I'm sure I have, where I said, uh, you know, the sickness is not to death, and where I said, yeah, this person is sleeping. And they said, well, if that's the case, and he's been sick, well, then what's the worry? 
that'd be great if he's just sleeping. You know, so we don't understand. You want to go down and risk your life, and you already got the message. You already know that that Lazarus is is sleeping. That I mean, that must mean that he's his sickness is over. Then the disciples said unto the Lord, If he sleep, he's doing well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taken of rest in sleep. Now someone who could say, Well, you know, the word sleep, doesn't the word sleep mean sleep? Then why would Jesus use a word like that to characterize the situation? He also would know that the word sleep means to sleep. Why would he use that word and cause his disciples even, who had been exposed to so many spiritual examples, to become confused? And then it says, Jesus said unto them plainly. In other words, he wasn't talking in a parable. He wasn't talking in Proverbs. He said, Lazarus is dead. Now, he didn't really want to say that Lazarus was dead because, you know, he says, I am the resurrection. But, you know, he was sort of forced because of the ignorance of the disciples to go ahead and say he's dead. Because when Jesus was forced to say Lazarus is dead, that was a direct contradiction to the two sisters to whom he had said Lazarus' sickness is not unto death. But now he had to because the disciples insisted. So there's so much, and it happens often, the doing of something right the wrong way. And I think that a lot of times that people ask questions that could have positive application, but they ask it the wrong way. So instead of asking Jesus, well, we don't understand this thing about him sleeping, they could have just said, you must have another meaning to that word that you're using. Then Jesus would have said, that is very good that you were able to see that there is another meaning. And what I mean by that is that the condition that he has that some people would call death, I do not call death because I am looking at him alive and I am seeing him alive. I am not seeing him dead. And in some ways that's very, very similar to the scripture we read to you in Peter where the Bible in Peter and also in Ephesians talks about looking into the past, going back in time and seeing a person before they are um, have ever sinned, before they have ever fallen. So he is seeing Lazarus. He is seeing Lazarus still alive and not dead. So to Jesus, Lazarus is in the state of life. But for the sake of his disciples, he said, look unto you and unto Mary and unto Martha, he is dead. And he's so dead that they have buried him, put him in a grave mummified him. But he said to me, I am not seeing him dead. He is not dead to me. He's just in a state of suspension. He's just in sleep. And that is so beautiful. That is so absolutely awesome. The Bible goes on to say that, Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Jesus was explaining his death as not being dead, but being a state. And then it goes on and says, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, he meant that this was a destined thing. And he explained it earlier. 
He said, this sickness is not unto death. The purpose of this sickness is not to die, in other words. The purpose of this sickness is to cause there to be a glory to God and that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And he said that's what the purpose of this whole thing with Lazarus was. It wasn't to make him sick. It wasn't to have him die. It is for the power of miracle. And that's why he said, it's good I wasn't there, because you'd say, well, why did you let him die? Even Mary and Martha both said to him, you know, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. But they totally did not understand. They totally missed the whole point. So then, anyway, the 17th verse, And when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the grave four days already. And remember, two of those days he held back. Now, uh, Bethany was very close to uh, Jerusalem, about 15 furloins apart. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother Lazarus, who had died. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Now, how come Martha came out, but Mary did not? Well, I think that Mary was disturbed. I think that she had asked Jesus about her brother, and she loved her brother so much. And he said, this sickness is not unto death. But now her brother died and had been in the grave for four days, and Jesus had sort of taken his time getting back. He scalded even from the time he heard it, it took an extra couple of days before he came back. And I think, you know, Mary was frustrated and she was confused and, and she was just a little bit daunted with the circumstances and felt that maybe Jesus had neglected because now she lost her brother. And that was just such a sad, compellingly difficult thing for her. And she just couldn't understand that Jesus would make a false prophecy to say that, you know, this sickness is not unto death, but then it was unto death. And they buried the guy. How more dead could you be four days in the grave? So she didn't come out to greet Jesus. She stayed in the house and was just quiet unto herself because she was deeply mystified and deeply hurt. But Martha, she was of a different type, and, and she came out. But she also said, Lord, if you'd been there, this wouldn't have happened like that. And that must be what you meant, that if you'd been there, he wouldn't have died. But then you weren't able to make it here, so he did die. And that must be the explanation of what you meant. You didn't really mean to tell a lie. People are always trying to excuse God or excuse Christ or excuse ministers for things that they say that are deep and to sort of make it something different than what it is. And people need to quit trying to excuse the people of God and those that are functioning in the divine nature and being led by the Holy Spirit. They need to not judge their different way of saying things because there can be deep meanings in that that are not being construed by the person who is making that assessment. And so anyway, but she says, I do know that even now, whatsoever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said, Well, I know that. All of us people who are believers in the Christian way and believe in you, Jesus, we know in the resurrection that, you know, Lazarus is going to, you know, we already know that revelation. We've known that for a long time. And Jesus said, that is not what I'm talking about. He said, I'm talking about that I am the resurrection. Now, 
we have to understand that the resurrection power belongs to us. And we have the right to claim that we are the resurrection because to every single person there is this given promise and this given benefit of the resurrection that belongs to them. So Job said that even though the flesh worms eat my body, yet in my flesh I will see God. So he understood that that promise belonged to him and was usable and he used it. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he will live. And whosoever liveth, believeth in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe. (laughs) She was quite a gal, there's no doubt. I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way. She didn't want to discuss it anymore. She didn't exactly say, I believe that that could happen. But she says, I believe you're Christ, the Son of God. And she went away and called her uh, sister Mary secretly, saying, the Master's come and calls for thee. And as soon as Mary had heard that, then she arose and came quickly. Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. And the Jews then which were with her in the house, they comforted her when they saw Mary. And she rose up hastily and went out and followed her, saying, She goeth into the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if thou hast been here, thy brother would not have died. And Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, and which came with her, and he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That's a real intercession, you know. There are times when there's things that you just know by God, things that you just know by the Father. And when you can't get that message across, because it's just so thick for people to understand it, it does cause you to groan deep down inside. He finally said, okay, let's, let's just get to this. Where have you laid him at? And she said, Well, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. You know, he did love that man. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man that's opened the eyes of the blind even have caused that this man should not have died? See, we get into this improper tense. We always think that if you aren't able to use the brake and stop something from happening, there are certain things that people feel can never be reversed. You know, I could never forgive this person because of what they've done. It could never be reversed. That person, as far as I'm concerned, is dead to me. And I will never have nothing to do with that person again. He's dead. And Jesus is saying, you just don't understand human beings. This person isn't dead. This person is just sleeping. It's in suspension. This person is going through genetic indifferentiation. This person is going through turmoil. But it's not dead. You have the power to say to that person, I am the resurrection. I say unto you, arise. And God is calling to us to get into a little bit of this groaning and to really understand our love, how powerful that it can be. We have to get into that groaning to where we are dealing from the deep, deep, deep innermost parts of our being. And that is all what belongs to this divine nature that God is trying to bring us into. Jesus said, well, first off, they had put him in a cave, and they laid a stone upon it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto the Lord, By this time he stinketh, 
he's been dead for days. If you open up this, this cave, that smell's going to come out. It's going to be terrible. And flies are going to go in there. It's going to be horrible. And Jesus said, Said I not unto thee, if thou would believe, you will see the glory of God? People just don't catch on. When you, when you do deep word teachings, a lot of times they just don't catch on. Because, you know, they are figuring out things based on, hey, this is already a dead issue. It can't be changed. I'm already me. I can't be made to understand things that my blockhead just won't understand. And they want to live in that realm. And God is saying, I'm commissioning you to be set free. I'm commissioning you to be able to go out and to preach this word and to deliver people of their sins and to heal people from their sicknesses and to cast out genies and to cast out devils. And he said, if you'll just believe what I'm saying and just leave it be, he says, you'll see the glory of God. Now, isn't it interesting that this person that Jesus loved was put in a cave and there was a big stone that blocked it? That later they would put Jesus after he was crucified into a cave and there would be a big stone blocking it. Now, he wouldn't maybe be conscious to be able to say, roll the stone away. But he already did this work and it was all for the glory of God, it says. So he already did this thing with Lazarus, and Lazarus was actually representing and standing in the place of Jesus and being in a place of death. Now, it was four days instead of three, but, you know, the similarity there cannot be repudiated. And so the provision was already there, and Jesus gave the word, roll that stone away. And so he spoke that word not only for Lazarus, but he spoke that word for himself when that day would come, and he would not be able to be physically there to say it. He spoke it, and he put it into reality. So it was just a thing that somebody was going to do because it was a spoken word. An angel was going to hear that and come, or, or persons were going to hear that and come. It was a guarantee because it had been spoken into existence. It was a time machine, and that stone was going to be rolled away. And believe me, it was. And so then they took away the stone from the place where the dead, that was Lazarus, was laid, verse 41. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that you hear me always. And because of the people which stand here, I am preaching the way I am preaching. Normally I wouldn't speak to you like this, but I'm speaking in this particular simplistic way for their sake and that they might be able to believe that you sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice. If you believe something and you're expecting something to happen, don't just get up there and say, okay, if it's the will of God now, and I pray that it is, and if God, you'll just forgive me all my sins again, and you will allow it not to go against Lazarus being raised from the dead, uh, would you please, please have him come alive? Uh, <laughs> Jesus stood there with a loud voice, a powerful voice. He said, Lazarus, come on out of there. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. And then many of the Jews and the people really, they real realize, hey, this isn't just anybody. This man has power over life and death. It's incredible. So I want to read a scripture in Psalms. 78. It's sort of a prophecy. It's uh, 
David speaking by the Holy Spirit like he is speaking for Jesus. And it says in Psalm 78, 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. We see that we're talking about a new law here. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children. We understand by this message that there are places of past history, places of ancient, ancient times that we have to be brought to, that we live in a time of lost memory. We live, in fact, in what the Bible describes as a land of lost memories. And it's actually scriptural for that, actual scriptural. And in these, this land of, uh, of forgottenness and lost memories, God is saying that through Christ here that he's going to open that gate up to be able to restore the years the canker and the caterpillar have eaten, which he spoke that through his Holy Spirit some long time ago. And that he's going to utter dark sayings of old because those dark sayings of old are only dark because that which was once a light has fallen into darkness and the darkness has not been able to comprehend it. But now he's going to speak again as he did with his angels in Genesis and say, let there be light and there will be light. And those old sayings are going to be brought uh, into reality. And by those old sayings becoming part of the time machine, we're able to go back into time and be accepted as we were before we fell. And by being accepted as we were before we fell, before we sinned, then we are put in an incredibly fantastic position of restoration. So, the divine nature that is being raised up is manifestly being revealed so that we can come into that understanding. And as we come into that understanding, the darkness dissipates, the darkness flees, and there shall be light. And light does come. And we begin to enter into the true understanding of all things are possible. I have just had such a yearning in my spirit to go out with this Gentile word, be able to reach so many people in the world that are crippled and that are sick and suffering and help them bring a deliverance to themselves and help them come into healing. I do want to mention that in my last teaching, I had gotten into this teaching about the um, the Higgs bosom particle and how that they had discovered a certain sound in it. And I was connecting that with the soundtron and how that we know that in this environment, the speed of sound is roughly 600 miles, you know. When we're talking the speed of light, we're talking quite a different speed limit. 
when we begin to understand that this thing of sound, when we talk about sound, and when I mentioned about the speed of sound, I'm not talking about the speed of of the sound, like when we're talking about the speed of music or the speed of talking, that it travels at the speed of sound. I wasn't talking about that. I should really have said the speed of the sound drawn or just kept it as the speed of light. I'll probably make some changes on that, but in the meanwhile, just for you that have been listening, so that you know that there was a case in which, in my mind, I had it all figured out and what I meant, but I didn't clarify it. I should have taken the time to explain what I actually meant by that. Just like when people did not understand what Jesus meant when he said, you know, that Lazarus sleepeth. I know there'd be people who would not understand what I meant when I said the speed of sound, because I was talking about the instantaneous capability of a soundtron. But anyway, we are thankful to God for these teachings and for the Word of God that enhances the Word so that it can be given. And we know that in Psalms 23 it says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths, plural, the paths of righteousness. So righteousness has more than one path. It has paths. And that is where God is leading you. And that you are going to be able to see through all those different eyes as you come into the understanding of all the different walkways you'll have to go through. Times that you'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But there's no need to fear any evil. Times that uh, you will have to... um, prepare your living and survival right in the presence of the enemy. But, you know, God will anoint you, and your your head will run over with the anointing of the oil. So we know that all these things have been promised as provisions unto us, and I want to encourage you to start getting into to getting into your divine nature and believing that that belongs to you, just as the kingdom of God that is within you belongs to you. And so that is going to be the end of my teaching here. We need to get into Gentile and do some uh, some provision and, and message for people that are out there that have needs. So I do thank you and ask you to uh, be very deeply in meditation and seeking of God so that you can be operating your divine nature. Okay. Those of you that are here and listening to this message, that are listening to it as it is being broadcast, and even later when people come and they listen to the recordings, the power of this Gentile word is uh, present and it has tremendous healing capability. I am not a medical doctor. I'm a doctor of theology, but I'm not a medical doctor. When I do this Gentile, I am not in any way putting down the medical services, putting down doctors, uh, nurses, putting down hospitals, clinics. I thank God for all of those institutions and people. I'm just saying that here is something God has provided. We could call it alternate medicine, whatever you want to call it. But it deals through the neurons through the brain system and it allows the brain to begin to function where there's an inhibitor that has blocked it 
and we loose those inhibitors so that the body can be restored and receive healing. So if you're ready today, what I am going to work on is I'm going to work upon those people who have nightmares. I could tell you some incredible stories if I had the time about how powerful this is for healing people who can't seem to shake some of their nightmare dreams. And we're going to deal with that today. And if you know anybody that has these horrible conditions, uh, you just let us know. Also, I intend to include with that people that fight migraine headaches. Here we go. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary to the hypothalamus to thyroid to the lymphatic gland, to the parasympathetic to the sympathetic neural transmission system, to the cerebellum, to the white core brain tissue and spinal column. Begin to send messages into the body, to the various parts of the body, the medulla, the pons, across over to the top of the head to beneath it where the corpus callosum lie, uh, connecting all the various parts of the brain, the left hemisphere, the right hemisphere, the frontal lobes, and the rear lobes. Begin to deal with all of these uh, connectors. Begin to send messages in the neurons uh, so that it crosses over the bouton into the um, synaphysis and it begins to construct messages through the various messenger systems, those being such things as the thyroid, the lymphatic gland, the pituitary, the hypothalamus, such things as the hormone system, and there are many other uh, messengers in the body. Begin to send messages into the body where there be any inhibitors or blockers that are blocking certain parts of the body for their receptors to be used for their healing and deliverance. Hypothalamus to pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus to thyroid, to lymphatic gland, to all of these um, messages. Begin to send messages into the body to uh, deal in the subconscious part of the brain to deal in the various aspects by releasing certain kinds of hormones and that will uh, harmonize the uh, state of sleep and the state of deep rapid eye sleep so that the harsh aspect of these visions and dreams that some people have that are like nightmares will be eradicated begin to deal with this eradication by releasing the hormones into the area during the time of coming into the deep rabbit eye sleep so that uh, those nightmares are eliminated. Hypothalamus to pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus to thyroid. We now deal with the uh, problems with uh, migraine headaches. We are dealing with a particular kind of migraine headache that comes upon the head in the front part of the head. We're dealing with that particular type of headache today. Begin to send messages into those areas to reduce the tension. We go into the adrenaline glands and we give messages now to deal with the hyper conditions that cause this gland, the adrenaline gland, to send forth its secretions that in the cases when the migraine headaches are happening in those specified areas, that there will be a messenger that will cause the secretions to be more minimized. If there's any inhibitors or blockers to that message, they are now canceled.
there you go, ladies and gentlemen. We just thank you and just pray God's blessings upon you every day. May God go with you. Amen. Thank you.